Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. This is The Athletic Baseball Show on The Athletic Podcast Network. Welcome to Starkville. Baseball Hall of Famer Jason Stark. And then the robot said, strike. That's why you're going in the Hall of Fame. It's an inside the park home run. Doug Glanville. Mike Trout is coffee at Starbucks with a double latte skinny. Doug, are you ready to make some podcast magic? I am ready. Bring on the magic wand. Let's do it. <laughs> Greetings and welcome to Starkville, now part of the Athletic Baseball Show, where you will find great baseball talk all week long and all off season long. I'm Jason Stark. I write about baseball for the Athletic, and for one last time in 2021, I am joined by my good friend, writer, broadcaster, professor, Emmy winner, and distinguished former major leaguer Doug Glanville. So, Doug. How are you, my friend? You got all that Christmas shopping done? Yeah, man. First of all, I love shopping. I love going out there. Do I you? actually, yeah, I like going into the 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 fray. I you know grew up in Jersey, so that means I was always near a mall at some point. So yeah. I was like, yeah, I just I actually like getting into it. I know it's it's a little challenging these days. We're still dealing with a lot of stuff, but uh, yeah, I'm I'm big on uh, getting Barnes and Noble books. You know, I just I could live there personally but uh it's always fun to go there and yeah so i oh yeah I, there's I'm, a couch in some of them so that way. well i worked at barnes and noble one off season so that was kind of fun and i actually that's how i became really good at wrapping gifts because i did the gift wrapping thing you had to rip Ooh. the paper yeah so i uh picked up some skills there so yeah i'm very very excited i love to see people's expression when you really think through a, a gift and kind of make it come home so I'm, uh, I'm fired up about it. i get to see some family i hadn't seen in a minute in north carolina gonna make that trip so um yeah looking forward to it excellent um doug since it's our final show of the year we've got quite the holiday extravaganza in store our good friend tim kirkshin now cooperstown bound tim kirkshin will join us uh, we got so much to talk to tim about uh, how he got the news of his election to the writer's wing, uh, how he and I used to research our, our goofy notes back in the olden days before BaseballReference.com saved us from ourselves. Uh, I know this will be a blast talking to Timmy. Uh, but first, Doug, I, I would like to look back on the year in baseball. Uh, we'll unveil a few of our hilarious and incredible, strange but true highlights of the year later in the show. But... I think we should go big picture first and try to answer the question, when we think about baseball in 2021, what will we remember? And there are a lot of options. You know, there's all those rule change experiments in the minors. Uh, we had Theo Epstein on and uh, right here in Starkville back in March to talk about those. I think that was the first 
edition ever of the Athletic Baseball Show. We could talk Otani. Remember, we had Joe Madden on the show talking about him. Uh, both of those, two of my favorite topics. But Doug, you know what I'm going to remember most about 2021? <laughs> Fans, my fellow humans, watching great postseason baseball in ballparks filled with my fellow humans. I don't think I truly realized how much I missed that and how much we all missed that in 2020 until I experienced it again this October. And, you know, it's funny the moment I remember because it was in Atlanta. uh, It was during the World Series. This turned out to be a game the Braves didn't even win. But let's go back. It was first inning of Game 5. So the Braves are up three games to one. They're one win away from winning the World Series. Adam Duval steps up to the plate with the bases loaded. Here's what this sounded like. Homer off Valdez in Game 1. Hits it in the air to right. Back at the Doug, one of my favorite things about my job is being in a ballpark when something like that happens. I was there in Truist Park. It felt like an earthquake, man. The ballpark shook for, like, I don't even know how long. 10 minutes, 15 minutes. It was so electric. It was so special to be there. And look, I'm not even a fan of either team, but I'm a fan of October baseball and I'm a fan of the human experience. And, and that, my friend, that's a unique experience. To be in a place with 40,000 people, they're all feeling this, this exact same feeling. And they're all expressing it exactly the way the person next to them is expressing it. It's what makes sports great. It's why we get to do what we do. Because as I say all the time. That's not a sports experience. That's a life experience. That, that, that's a moment that people re- will remember their entire lives. You've spent so many nights of your life in ballparks. I'm sure you know what I'm trying to put into words here. Well, Jay, no question. And, you know, I think of it as 2020. I mean, I don't know if, if I set foot anywhere near a ballpark, right? I mean, close to one. And, and so you think about that loss because my whole life has been all through baseball. My brother taught me through wiffle ball and stick ball and everything under the sun when I could barely walk. And my whole life has been in uniform or calling and covering the game. And so the idea of just being separated from it and then the isolation, especially thinking back to the playing days of how important the fans were. I mean, I had so many letters after I retired. And I, I wrote back and signed a lot of letters, but there was a few years or periods where I didn't sign as many. And I remember going through those right before my son was born and kind of going through them over again and just seeing these notes and marked, you know, kind of marks of time from fans, whether they were Cardinals fans or Cubs fans, I would get these letters and it would just remind me of like, that's what it's about. It's a connection. And they express this long-standing relationship with the game and kind of where you fit in. And so it's, it's very humbling to really see that as a player, you have this connection and, and it's bigger than you're providing the entertainment, but there's actually something so much 
more poignant about it, whether it's the, the community sense and the shared love of the game that doesn't escape you as a player and that appreciation. So I you know think that this season, just being able to get back and get to the ballpark and actually talk to players and all these things that, you know, just covering the game was different because that was another disconnect, not only the fans and what they bring, but your inability to talk to players and find out what they're dealing with and just have that tangible um, exposure. And and so, you know, brings me to, you know, I have a friend, Asad Koshu, who I grew up with, who's uh, in Chicago, and he used to talk about how important it is to be awed. And I think you're describing some of that feeling of being awed at the moment and the power and the influence and how this endures. It's not just this split second. It actually goes and reverberates. It makes lifelong fans. It connects families. It creates permanent memories. All these things that come with it. It's part of it as being awed in a moment. And, and that's what I think of a, like a Shohei Otani, someone who did something this season that is indelible and, and never been done before. That's what baseball brings. And that loss is so much bigger when you don't have that connection to people. And, and so I'm thankful. That's how I look at 2021, first of all, being able to do what I do in the game and have shows like this with good friends I've known a long time, but also just thankful that, you know, the game was able to come back in this way to remind us of all these lessons that aren't just on the field lessons, but they're truly our life lessons, as you said. So, um, you know, I'm looking forward to 2022. Yeah. The, you know, I think what we're trying to say here is what was most important about baseball sports in 2021 was we got to experience all that again together. And I'm so grateful that we did. Doug, we are in the presence of greatness today, my friend. Hall of Fame greatness. Our good friend, Tim Kirkshen, the man, the myth, the legend. And now, the 2022 winner of the BBWA Career Excellence Award joins us. Tim, <laughs> look, man, I know you're excited to be headed for Cooperstown, but I want you to admit something. Isn't it way more exciting to be heading for Starkville? <laughs> <laughs> well, honestly, fellas, there's nothing more exciting than what I've been through the last 10 days professionally. I've <laughs> Jason called me, Doug. And so did Dan Shaughnessy the day before the election and said, if you get elected, this is what you need to be ready for. <laughs> and these are two of my best friends in the world. And neither one of them really <laughs> said, <clears throat> told me exactly what it was going to be like, because it was more powerful than I thought it was going to be. It was an amazing day that Tuesday. It's been an amazing 10 days since. And I'm sure I told you guys this, but <laughs> I, I had to kill some time the morning of the election because I, I couldn't sit still. So at <laughs> 930, I went grocery shopping. I do that like every day. I'm terrible at it. I'm very inefficient. <laughs> so I went to the Harris Teeter at 930 thinking I can kill some time here. And while I'm going through the self-service checkout aisle, Jack O'Connell, the secretary treasurer of the baseball writers, calls me. <laughs> I was assured by Dan and Jason, he doesn't call you if you've lost, if he wins. And I went, oh, my gosh. This be it. So I answered the phone while going through the self-service checkout. Aisle. And he gave me the good news. And I 
I don't mind telling you guys, I cried right there <laughs> in the Arab Cedar. I'm, <laughs> I was so moved. I was so overwhelmed by the whole moment that uh, I walked out of there with a couple bags and a few tears in my eyes. <laughs> wow, that's incredible, man. Oh, and yeah. um, Tim, like you're one of those people. I've, I've, I've walked down streets with you. I've walked through ballparks with you. Everybody knows you. Like everybody <laughs> recognizes you. Did did people recognize you in the supermarket <laughs> getting this call? Did anybody idea have any idea what the heck was going down in that moment? No, no. Uh, I know all the checkout people at the Harris. <laughs> <laughs> But I don't since I went through the self-service one because I only had a few items, nobody actually saw me and I made sure I escaped so no one saw me cry (laughs) in the apartment on the way out. So, no, nobody actually saw that. But um, and I jumped in the car and I drove home and around the corner from my house is my brother's house. So I stopped in to see him first. He's 11 months older than me, born in the same year. He's my best friend. So I figured this should be the first stop to go see my brother. And I still had tears in my eyes. And he looked at me and he said, what? What's wrong? What happened? <laughs> and then I I, I said, well, I won. And he said, well, what? And I said, I won this award. And then we, uh, we had a pretty good cry together because my brother and I, I've been through an awful lot together, teammates along the way, teammates and everything all along the way. Uh, Doug, um, you should know, uh, Tim and I, have we've talked a lot these last few weeks. Uh, you, you, you know, I've walked in Tim's shoes. I won this award in 2019. And it is truly an overwhelming experience. So, <laughs> Tim, you know, I, I've been trying to help prepare you as best I could. And like that, that moment when you get the news and everything that, that happens right after that moment, I definitely want to ask you about that. But one of the things that I, I, I wanted to try to prepare you for that was really hard, the hardest part of it all, was probably those 24 hours before <laughs> you get the news. Those were the hardest for me. I, I like I vividly remember our conversation, me trying to tell you how I could barely function as a human being. <laughs> let alone a baseball writer waiting for the word on that election. So let me just ask you about that. Did any of that wisdom and advice that I passed along help you <laughs> go through those last 24 hours pretty calmly and coolly? Well, it was far from calm and cool, <laughs> but you helped me. And so did Dan Shaughnessy. You remember Dan Shaughnessy was the baseball writer at the Washington Star. When I joined the Washington Star in 1978, you know, as the cub reporter, high school guy, high school sports, and Dan became my mentor immediately because I wanted to be him someday and never became him when it came to writing ability. But Dan showed me the way. But Dan and Jason essentially told me the same thing those last 24 hours. Just try to breathe because there were days or times or hours where I had a little trouble breathing. And the morning of uh, of the Tuesday, I woke up at five because I just I just couldn't sleep anymore. And then the rest of the the next five hours were just trying to figure out what to do with myself. But then the next day, the Wednesday was the highlight, I think, among many highlights. It was 8.30 in the morning, the Wednesday after the Tuesday election. And Johnny Bench called me 
at my house yeah. <laughs> at 30 in the morning and said, Tim, this is Johnny Bench. And I just wanted you to welcome you to the club. You're one of us now. And oh, I, I almost started crying again. The greatest <laughs> catcher of all time called to tell me that. Now, let's be clear now, okay? I am not one of them. I am not truly in the club, and neither is my dear friend Jason Stark. We cover the game to cover those guys. They are the true Hall of Famers. We are in a wing of the Hall of Fame, but we're not Johnny Bench or anything close to it. But think? he refused to take that as an answer. He said, you're with us now. And that was just about as good as it gets for me when Johnny Bench would call me out of the blue and tell me that. Wow. That's amazing. That's well, amazing. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Don't just ride the index. Seek to outperform it with Fidelity Active ETFs. Learn more at fidelity.com slash active ETFs. Before investing in any exchange-traded fund, you should consider its investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Contact Fidelity for a prospectus, an offering circular, or if available, a summary prospectus containing this information. Read it carefully. While active ETFs offer the potential to outperform an index, these products may more significantly trail an index as compared with passive ETFs. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC, member NYSE, SIPC. Well, Tim, I have like two questions side to side. First, when you're in, when you go into Harris Teeter, do you bring your own bags? I'm just kind of curious about that. Or do you pay for bags at the checkout? Well, I'm a very frugal guy, believe me, but um, I still pay for the bags at the checkout. Now, this is, this is <laughs> terrible to say this, but the bags that they have there, I use... We have a baby in the house and we have pets in the house and those are very useful bags to collect things and then eventually throw them in the trash can. So when I, all right, I think you get the idea. Yes, very strategic, very strategic. So I'm sure with as many times as I've been to the grocery store, I've spent about $100,000 on plastic bags, but they, there, is a, there is a use for them and they've come in very handy here especially since our grandson moved in and got two dogs and two cats. All right. So, well, all right, Tim. So now this journey, this incredible award, and obviously I've been honored to be your colleague for quite a while at ESPN and, uh, you know, you're a joy to be around, but also you've memorialized the game that I love and that we all love. So that is greatly appreciated. And, uh, and so I want to think about some of your, your favorite columns, your favorite pieces of work or milestone pieces of work. How do you connect those dots? Do you, your first column, the column that kind of broke you out, the major leagues, do you have sort of a, a, a stable of columns or writings or content you created that always come back to you? Well, there are so many. Uh, in 1980, I went and Jason was covering the game that night, I'm sure, but I didn't know him then. I, I went to Philadelphia to do a story on Pete Rose. And the, the game I went to, the game, Jason might remember this, the game was delayed like 
four times and they started it back up at like 1 30 in the morning <laughs> and pete rose is like 40 years old at the time it's 1 30 in the morning nobody wants to be there he gets on base in like the 11th inning i'll be close on most of this he steals second he steals third and he scores on a fly ball to win the game so i think that's just and that's what i wrote about is that here's the oldest guy on the field it's 1.30 in the morning. Everyone wants to go home. He wants to stay. And to me, that was the first thing I ever wrote about Major League Baseball that I will truly remember. Um, I think my favorite story I ever did was at Sports Illustrated, and it was on Cal Ripken's chase of Lou Gehrig. And it went all the way through the week before, in other words, the entire buildup to 2031. And then, you know, that night and i wrote after the game and he let me in his his life for an entire week meaning i drove to him to the ballpark i drove home with him from the ballpark i went to his gym uh, i saw him in all sorts of situations that a lot of people were simply not allowed and i i think i wrote down one page of notes live in my notebook. The rest of it, I was just with him. I was just observing, no notepad out, no tape recorder on. I just kind of hung around with him for a week and I wrote like a 12 page story for Sports Illustrated. That was, that's the, I think the best thing I've ever done because it was such an important story. And that night was like nothing I've ever seen in my life. And a third one, and this is very personal, and I shouldn't tell you this, but when the Nationals were on their way to winning the World Series, there was quite a bit of stuff about Walter Johnson and where did the Nationals come from, because people weren't aware that they used to be the Washington Senators. So since I went to Walter Johnson High School, <laughs> I felt the need to explain my connection somehow to the Nationals and Walter Johnson, how, you know, I played baseball and basketball there. I wrote for the school paper, which was called The Pitch. Uh, I did some work for the yearbook. It was called The Windup, you know. So, And even I didn't know this. This is, this is ridiculous. I didn't know this. Walter Johnson, my baseball hero, he died on December 10th, 1946. And I was born on December 10th, <laughs> oh 1956. <laughs> so that combined with going to his high school, worshiping him, you know, from afar, writing for the pitch. He's buried like 10 miles from where I live. I know exactly where he lived in Bethesda when he was playing for the Senators. So I wrote all about that. And it was a deeply personal story because it meant so much to me that not that the Nationals were winning the World Series, but my little connection to the great Walter Johnson was, uh, at least for me, it was significant. <laughs> That's tremendous. You know, Tim, I think it's safe to say you and I uh, share a love for an aspect of baseball that not everybody gets, right? It's the weirdness and the wildness. <laughs> and Doug, you understand it, right? It's really the spirit this show is founded on, don't you Absolutely. think? Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> okay, yes, so I uh, this is a great trifecta of weirdness and wildness right here. <laughs> you know, I actually, I remember once a few years ago throwing one of my classic goofy notes out there on Twitter and somebody replied, you're becoming the new Tim Kirkshin. 
<laughs> I love that. It's the highest compliment anybody can pay me. <laughs> all right, all right. Now let's be clear about this. It was right. Jason Stark that taught me <laughs> how to look for and how to find the quirky, weird stuff. His week in review yeah. every Tuesday in the Philadelphia Inquirer was the greatest page of baseball every week. And I just copied what Jason did. I, he showed me the way. Now, I was a quirky little kid. I mean, when I, I was coming up with the all-food team and the all-money team when I was in the seventh grade, believe me, when I was uninterested in class, when I was a good student, not a great student. But when I was bored, that's what I would come up with uh, while I was doodling in class. But Jason was the one that taught me how to find certain things. And it... <laughs> It makes me so happy when I when I realize, say, that Prince Fielder hit exactly as many home runs, three hundred and nineteen, as his father did. Like, how in the world can that be? How can it be that Dennis Eckersley picked off Kenny Williams and then went three and a half years before he picked off somebody else? And then he picked off Kenny Williams again. <laughs> I mean, that's impossible. And we have a million of those things. And one of my favorites was, and this is when I knew Jason had taught me so well. Uh, <laughs> Ian Kinsler came up to me one day and he said, let me tell you something that you're going to love. And you don't even know it. He said, yesterday, I had a home run in the same game as Willie Harris hit a home home run and we're both born on the same day. He said, I bet that's never happened before. So here I got a second baseman providing me these tremendous gold nuggets. And he was right. We checked it out. First time ever. Two guys with a shared birthday hit a home run in the same day on the same game uh those are the kind of things that i know i love a little bit too much so every morning when i read the box scores which is the greatest hour of my life i sit here i shouldn't tell you with a diet mountain dew at six o'clock in the morning i go through the box scores looking for all the important things who won who lost you know i do my stupid day by day book by hand every day but then the second time through then i'm looking for the quirky things, you know, did anybody, did anyone strike out twice, make two errors and ground into two double plays last <laughs> night in any game? I look for that every single day, just in case that happens. Kurt Babakwa did it in 1978. He's the only guy ever to do that, that we can find. So that's what I love the most is doing my due diligence to look through the box scores for the real stuff. And then I take a second tour through looking for the fun stuff. And if you look closely enough, there is fun stuff virtually every day. All right. Now, Doug, Tim and I are going to talk about this a little bit, how we do this, yeah. how we find this, how we used to find this. Okay. Cause that's true. I, I, it's changed, to, right? we, yeah. But <laughs> Tim and I used to talk every Friday for what? 10 years, 15 years, God knows how many years, because our notes columns would run on Sunday, we would write them on Friday, and we had to brainstorm. Tim, I don't know if you remember this one time, my house caught on fire. <laughs> while, while I was talking to you, I'm sure I was talking to you at the time, and it was a Friday, and I, I, I said to Lisa, 
Hey, in the future, when the house catches on fire, it has to be on another day. <laughs> <laughs> like, it can't be on Friday. But anyway, like Doug, Tim and I, we would spend hours talking and hours looking for this bizarre stuff that hadn't happened since 1888 or ever. And Tim, have you ever asked yourself this question? What's wrong with me? <laughs> Why do I care? What well, am I doing? <laughs> I, I've asked that far too many times the first time i started asking that when i was when i was in high school and i'd be playing stratomatic my senior year in high school all by myself up in my room on a saturday night when all my friends are out you know drinking beer and chasing girls and i had no idea what to do with either one of that So, so i'm up there and i'm playing like the san francisco giants entire season and Gary Thomason got like three hits and I'd be up there like broadcasting the game while I'm playing the game and doing the stats all by myself. And occasionally I would just look around and go like, what are you doing? Where, where is this leading? And obviously it led to something because those games I played and those cards I looked at, they, they still matter today. I still look at an old time player like, there used to be a pitcher named Claude Ramon who pitched for the for the Montreal Expos. He had the most amazing APBA card. That's the first game I played. And I met him once, and I, I couldn't help but say, you had the most amazing <laughs> APBA card I've ever seen. He looked at me like I was from Mars. It was it was ridiculous. But my, my love for the game, I must tell you guys, my oldest brother, Andy, who's a PhD from MIT in electrical engineering, he makes me look like the biggest dope of all time in every way. And he and my dad, also a PhD, undergrad MIT in mathematics, my my brother Andy said to my dad at the dinner table once when I was like a junior in college, he said, what is Tim going to do with his life? <laughs> can't make a career out of this. He only loves one thing. He only loves baseball. How is he going to make a career out of this? So eventually I did. Eventually I learned how to write. That was not easy either, Doug. I know you have a paper in the Hall of Fame. Excuse me. Jason's won like 50 writing awards. I can tell you when I worked for the pitch, I wrote a story once and my one of my gym teachers, Mr. Klein, came up to me and he put his arm around me and he said, Tim, that might be the worst story I have ever read in the pitch. And he said, I hope you're not planning on making your life's work. And I did. I made my life's work because I just kept showing up and trying. So, yes, uh, where to look for things, how to look for things is really important. And when Jason and I got got stuck uh, stuck on what do we do with this great note, the answer was always like, well, let's just call Rich Donnelly or let's call Larry Anderson or let's call, you know, Andy Vance. Or Doug Lanville. Yeah, yeah, and have them say something funny to support whatever we came up with. That's when that's when, you know, I, I remember calling Andy Vance like in his hotel room once. And this way before cell phones. And I said, Andy, I've got something here. I need you to be funny for me. And, and he was. I did the same thing to Larry Anderson. Please be funny. I need something funny here. And he was. That's when, you know. You're really funny when you can be funny on command. Yeah, well, that's, that was the gift of Doug Glanville. Doug, when, when Tim and I would start grilling you with our stupid questions, just trying to get you to say something <laughs> funny, 
Did you know what we were up to? Oh, yeah. I was joining in, of course. I was thinking <laughs> I right along with you. I mean, you think about some of the stuff we caught. You know, when Ozzy Osbourne uh, did the national anthem, well, no, the seventh inning stretch for the Cubs. I mean, I mean, we had stuff, all, you know, Kurt Schilling and I had our video game wars. That went on for, for months, playing EverQuest. <laughs> we I milked mean, it. Yep. Oh, yeah. So, you know, we had a lot of, lot of fun with it. Well, you know, Tim, I'm, I'm curious, like, you know, obviously we all love the quirky things, but over time, do you get a sense of what people remember the most about their love affair with baseball when it comes to these stories? Has it, you know, you always think of like, oh, hey, Carlton Fisk waving, you know, the home run fair, things like that. But there's also a lot of little things that these things stick with people. You got a sense of what matters the most to all the fans that respond to it? Yeah, what I've sensed all along is that the fans respond to something that involves something near and dear to them. In other words, they'll say, I was at that game and my dad took me to that game or that was the first game I ever learned how to keep score. And, and without being corny, that's I think the connection with baseball to so many people is the connection you make with your family members. Like my mom showed me how to do that. Or my, my mom took me to that game or, and, and with my dad, Oh my God, my dad, you know, he taught us his three boys, how to, how to play the game, how to love the game, have a, have a great feel for the game. And I can't tell you how many times I would just sit around with my father and we would look in the baseball encyclopedia. And he's pointing out, he said, look, like Ted Williams, you know, struck out almost, I mean, walked three times as many times as he struck out. And he had almost as many home runs as he had uh, strikeouts. You know, these are the kind of lessons that I learned from my father growing up. So I think that's where the connection is, is that you say, yeah, I went to that game with my dad. I know both of my kids, they still remember games that I took them to because we did that together. And I think that family aspect of this is so cool. I met a preacher once at the Hall of Fame and he had taken his entire family, three boys and his wife, uh, and sorry, two boys and a girl and his wife on a cross-country trip that summer. And they'd gone to all 30 major league ballparks. And they finished their tour by going to Cooperstown to watch the Hall of Fame induction. And that preacher told me this was the greatest trip our family has ever taken because we took it together. And we experienced everything together. That's what I think baseball does, is it brings people together. Are you struggling to close deals? B2B selling is tougher than ever. And that's why I want to tell you about LinkedIn Sales Navigator. One more great product from LinkedIn. You're there to network. You're there to look for jobs. You're there to post jobs. And how about LinkedIn Sales Navigator? It's a sales intelligence platform that helps professionals effectively prospect and engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator helps you target the right buyers, surface key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize and shows you hidden allies so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. 
Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash baseball show. That is linkedin.com slash baseball show for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash baseball show and get started. You know, I wanted to ask you about your dad because I've heard you talk about him so many times. I, I wish I'd, I'd met your dad. <laughs> it would have meant so much to me because I've heard so much about him. But I, I know that your dad once taught you how to turn the double play. And since you were in the house at the time, that worked out well. What, what, what exactly happened there, Tim? <laughs> oh, no. Now, again, to repeat, my dad was a really good player. And he was a funny, funny little man. He, he died in 2003. And the lessons he taught me along the way, a million of them about life, but especially about baseball. So th- this happened all the time. We're watching a game. We're in the living room. He's got his three boys with him. And he says, uh, all right, now let me show you the best way to turn the double play <laughs> with a guy coming hard at you. Okay, so he throws he throws like a couch pillow on the floor. This happened quite a bit in our house. <laughs> and he's showing us how to make the turn. And he's showing us you got to keep that ball down because you got to get the runner down. You, you don't throw it from up here. You got to catch it and throw it from here. So he's throwing it into the couch and he throws it a little bit high and it goes right through the French door window. <laughs> In the living room. And now, uh, like, we're all panicked. My mother, the greatest woman ever, but she had to put up with these four boys who only cared about one thing in the house was baseball. So now we have a broken window. And my dad looks at me and he goes, Tim, tell mom that you did it. <laughs> so that's that's how my dad kind of handled everything. He was such he was such a great baseball man. Uh, and he had such a great feel for things. And I think the only time that my mother and father, I, I, I ever saw them argue about anything was in 1968 at the kitchen table. And we just seen Bob Gibson pitch in the World Series. And we're like talking about it at the dinner table. So my mother, God bless her, she's the greatest lady ever. She says, and she was born in England, of course, lived her first 22 years there. She goes, I think a cricket player can throw harder than a baseball player can throw. Okay. So my dad, he has no part of this. And he says, look, Joy, no cricket player throws harder than Bob Gibson. All right. That's the end of that story. So my dad, my dad used to say when we were growing up, he said, I, I, I'm a better hitter than Joe DiMaggio. That's what he used to say. And he probably was because in his 60s, my dad could still hit and Joe DiMaggio had no interest in hitting in his 60s. So we got a license plate thing that that you put on the back of your license plate and we made it out to, and it read better hitter than Joe DiMaggio. So my dad drove around in a car where that was his license plate holder on his car. And then after he died, my mother started to drive his car. We, we switched cars. So now she's driving his car. She came home one day and said, Tim, I had the oddest thing happen to me at a stoplight today. She said, some strange man stopped his car next to me, opened up his window and said, I know you're not a better hitter than Ted Williams and then drove away. And she said, what, what did that mean? So I had to play, mom, we made this stupid 
license plate holder for pop and now it's on your car that's what the guy meant you might have been better than joe dimaggio but you're not a better hitter than ted williams <laughs> okay that's official <laughs> hey did you did your dad teach you how to paste box scores in a notebook because doug tim oh, yeah. and i like we're the two dopes in the world who we pasted every box score of every game in a notebook for years like i eventually stopped when i noticed there was invention this invention called baseball reference but <laughs> right. tim kept going tim how many years did you paste the box scores in the book and explain to people why we did that all right i did it for 20 years and i never missed a day wow and that's quite a streak. It, I think it's hard. I think that's way better than Cal Ripken's streak. <laughs> All right. Never hey, missing a I, day in 20 years. Can I, wait, can I interrupt one? here? One, one second. Like, you have to understand every once in a while, a yeah, game would go so late. <laughs> oh, yeah. It wouldn't, the box score would not make the newspaper the next day. Yeah. And so this was a crisis. Like, I would. I would literally drive around because I knew where I could find later editions of the paper. Oh, <laughs> and wow. I'd have to drive like around town <laughs> looking for the late edition. This is how right. sick we were. This happened to you at all? Yeah. Well, what if right. you were in like England, all? if you were like abroad or something? Yes, it would have been helpful if I lived on the West Coast, but I lived on the East Coast. So yes, the following day, I always had to find the box scores that didn't make it. And ultimately, that's why I quit after 20 years, because <laughs> I wanted to, but because I didn't have enough box scores every day, and it, it just it was just too hard to track them down. But I did that because I did that when I went to Sports Illustrated. So instead of being a beat guy covering one team, now, in theory, I'm in charge of 30 teams. And in order to do that, the only way I felt I could do it was to have the box score of every game for every team. So if I were taking a trip from DC where I live to um, San Diego and I needed to do something on the Padres and I haven't seen them in a month and I'm not sure how they're working their bullpen, I would go through every box score uh, of the Padres on a cross country flight. And because you can't, you don't get, you don't have baseball reference back then on cross country flight. I had my by book with me and my box score with me book with me and that went with me wherever I went. So it was it was my security blanket. I always knew if push comes to shove, I can look through the box scores and at least have a working knowledge before I arrived in um, San Diego, for say. So um, once <laughs> at 11.45 at night, I'd forgotten to do my, my cut out my box scores and the streak is on the line. So I, I leapt out of bed and my wife was like looking at me and I, I ran into my office, cut out the box scores, taped them in, came back to bed and she just gave me that look like, I cannot believe I married such an unfathomable geek because she knew where I went. It was terrible. And then I used to, th this should have been a sign, but I stacked all of my notebooks, you know, with two notebooks per year to do the whole season. I stacked them on the top of my clothes closet in my house and the weight of my box scores oh, no. <laughs> collapsed my closet. I came home from a trip 
and all my suits are on the ground. They're covered with plaster. Oh, it was just awful. Wow. My brother Matt, the greatest man ever, came over and rebuilt my closet. Oh my and goodness. that was just another sign. Maybe, maybe <laughs> I should stop doing this. But a couple of years later, I did, but only because I couldn't find the box scores where I needed to. Oh. All right, I'm gonna. So wait, I, wait, I gotta tell you but, one more that Tim and I used to do. We would try to we would try to find something some goofy note and we couldn't find it so we would we would take a trip through the encyclopedia am i right tim like we'd say yeah. all right i'll take 1950 to 1992 you take 1900 to 1950 and we'll reconfer tomorrow right like what was right. what was our problem <laughs> <laughs> right. It's the same problem we have today, Jason. We 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 really love the game. It's all I got. I'm not a great writer. There's some days I don't even yeah, love are. to write. I don't love going on. T I like TV. I don't love going on TV. I love, love the box scores. I love the history of the sport. I love what the game brings every day. And routinely, I've just gone through the baseball encyclopedia looking for stuff. And I have now an encyclopedia on my computer. You can do this with baseball reference, of course, and you you can just query things. Like I I, I've, I just look up stuff just for the fun of it, just in case it ever leads to something. Sometimes it doesn't, sometimes it does, and that's what makes me happy. Probably too happy someday. <laughs> yeah. Well, all right. Let me try to give you an example of what we would do. Um, it's so I wrote about this in the Baseball Prospectus Annual a few years ago. It's so easy to find stuff now with Baseball Reference, and you know you can find things so fast. That was not always true. So, uh, all right, I'm in Philadelphia. Von Hayes is playing for the Phillies. You guys remember him, right? Oh and yeah. So Von like, Hayes was a good player, yeah. and then he had this season where, like, we're in September. He's got no home runs, and he's playing <laughs> every day, okay? And the year before, he hit 18 homers. And so I'm thinking, this, this can't have happened. This guy hits 18 homers one year, and then hits no homers the next year, and he's playing every day. How am I going to find this? So I called our, our good friend Steve Hurt, then of the Elias Sports Bureau, and I said, Steve, I need – to know this. I don't know why I need to know it, but can you help? And he said, you know, this might sound like it's easy to research. This would actually be a pretty complicated program to run. We'd have to charge you for it. And I said, all right, how much would that cost? And he, so he gave me a price and I said, wow, I don't know. So I said, but let me ask my, let me ask my editor. So I said, hey, any chance that you would pay a uh, $1,000, whatever, whatever it was, so he, the Elias Sports Bureau could help me research this note. And my boss said, for one sentence of your column? <laughs> no, we're not doing that. Figure out something out. So I went back to Steve and I said, they, they won't do it. And the only other way I can think to do it is to start going through the encyclopedia year by year. And he said, well, I'll tell you what, like I, you've got me curious. I kind of would like to know, but I would have to charge you for something like this. So here's what I'll do for you. If you go through the encyclopedia and you find an answer, you can call me back and I'll make sure you're right. So you don't get it wrong. So I thought, really? Okay, I'm in. <laughs> so now, like every night as I'm, I'm not on the trip, I'm watching the games on TV or whatever, I would sit there 
with the encyclopedia in front of me, and I would start looking for guys who hit zero homers with this X, X many hit bats. And then oh, I would have to go back to the year before and look to see how many home runs they hit. So I started like 1900 flipping the pages, flipping, flipping, oh, flipping, goodness. flipping. And so now this takes me four days. And f- when I get th- all the way through the encyclopedia, I can't find anybody. <laughs> so I called Steve back and I said, Steve, I like, I screw this up. I went through the entire modern history of baseball I couldn't find anybody else who did this. And he said, you're right. <laughs> but this is four days of my life going through the encyclopedia. And Tim Kirkson and I did this regularly. Tim. I, I remember help. writing a story on Tony Phillips. Tony Phillips was a great, as we know, utility guy, played oh, all yeah. these positions. So I went through the Cohen and Neff encyclopedia, the soft cover one, which gives you every player – who played for every team, number of games he played at each position that year. It was a different encyclopedia than all the other yeah. ones that I have. Right. And I remember I went to spring training and I spent, I covered my spring training duties that day and I must have spent six hours looking up anyone who had played, and I'll be close on this, 10 games at each infield position all in the same season. Back then that was unheard of. And I, Tony... Tony Phillips was the only guy that did that. And I went through the entire Cohen and Neff encyclopedia hours and hours and hours, but I got this great note. Now the Elias could check that for you in like 30 seconds. That's how good they are. And of course, Doug and I work at ESPN. We have a contract with, with the Elias. We don't have to pay for it. But those, those are my very best friends of the whole world. The guys who work at the Elias and they, they, this is where I started looking at the, I have all the Elias analysts still in my closet, right back there, four feet from where I'm sitting. They're all in order because Phil Bradley, Phil Bradley hit 26 homers in a season, similar to the Von Hayes one. And it came like four years after he hit zero homers in a season with like 600 plate appearances. So he was the only player since like ever to have a 25 homer season in X number of plate appearances after having a zero homer season (laughs) in X number of plate appearances earlier in his career. Those are the kind of things that I would shake my head at. Like who would ever think that way? And now I think that way all the time. Thanks to the Elias, but mostly thanks to Jason. (laughs) Doug, did you have any idea? (laughs) that this is like this is how we thought this is how we found this goofy stuff wow i mean well i I am blown away about going page by page through the encyclopedia (laughs) that 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 is next level because i mean i know how thick that thing is so very impressed well i'm curious for both of you is there are there any players that are kind of the gift that keeps on giving you know some players are just statistically built to be quirky and they, and you just keep coming back to them. Is there anybody that stands out? Like you mentioned Tony Phillips, who was, you know, unusual had the walks and switch hitter and all these things. Uh, well, yeah. He- I'm going to let Jason take this one. He was <laughs> junior. Naboa was one of your all time. <laughs> right. I'm right. I'm right. He, correct. Uh, ju- like junior Ortiz was even more legendary than junior. No, but Naboa, we used to have so much fun, fun with him because he he named his kid Junior Junior, right? Right, right. <laughs> but I like I was thinking more along the lines of like Adam Dunn, because, right? Because you know, first off, nobody put up numbers weirder 
than Adam Dunn. He would have seasons where the ball didn't leave the batter's box more than it did, you know, because he struck out and he walked so many times that he'd get 300 times without the ball ever leaving the batter's box <laughs> and 230 where it would, right? So like, there was always these Adam Dunn notes, but the best part was Adam Dunn loved every one of them. So we could always go to him and say, do you believe you did this? And then he would give his, Doug, just like you, he'd have like a, a comedy central monologue for the next 10 minutes on what a bad player he was. Am I right, yeah, Jim? He, oh, he's the perfect example. He, you know, he had one, he had one of the worst seasons of all time with the White Sox. We, we all remember that season. And the next year he got off to a good start and kind of made up for it and all that. Maybe so all-star I, team. Yeah, I made. I asked him the next year on the air. I was doing the Seamhead show. Jason was on the Seamhead show with me, and I said, "Adam, w- what was the strangest piece of advice you got last year when you were going through all that?" And he said, "My wife, she she doesn't know much about baseball, but she asked me once, have you ever considered batting right-handed?'" <laughs> he had to say, "No, honey, I, I'm a, I'm a left-handed hitter. This is about all it gets." And as you know, he went, you know two and a half years without hitting a sacrifice fly. Uh, And this is a big, strong, I mean, Joey Gallo has destroyed all of those numbers, but Adam Dunn went, you know, he had like 74 consecutive times with a runner on third and less than two out and not once hit a scoring fly ball. So what he finally did, he said, he said, I'm the only player in the history of baseball to get a standing ovation for my <laughs> out to the left fielder. Cause that was a sacrifice fly. Adam, I miss him as much as anybody. Cause Jason's right. All you got to do is take a great stat to him and he will, he will take care of it. Mark Reynolds was much the same way. Mark Reynolds yeah. once told me, you know, I hold a lot of stupid baseball records because Mark Reynolds <laughs> struck out an awful lot in his career. He had a lot of home runs. And he once told me, he once told me when I was doing a story on how hard the game is to play, he said, people just don't understand how hard it is to play. He said, last night I struck out in a game and my mother called me the next day and said, how did you miss that 2-0 slider? <laughs> his mother called him to ask him that and he had to say mom it's not that easy <laughs> I, you know it's so funny that you bring him up I just ran across a Mark Reynolds note yesterday I'm working on my big year end strange but true package and so I had to go look up something from I think it was 2011 and there was a Mark Reynolds note just sitting there he went to the Orioles and he set the all time record for most strikeouts in a season by an Oriole. And it was also his career low in strikeouts. Because <laughs> it was the first time he struck out under 200 times. So yeah, anyway, he was. We used to call guys like this, Tim, right? The human Sunday note. Right, right. And I, I knew my Sunday notes were starting to work when Jeff Ballard of the Orioles struck out Don Mattingly three times in one game. Jeff Ballard was a pretty good left-handed pitcher from Stanford, won some games in the big leagues, but he threw like 82 miles an hour. Don Mattingly never struck out in those days. He struck him out three times in one game. And after the game, he walked by me. He just whispered in my ear, Sunday note, like that. He knew knew that I was going to pass that along to all my other 
other writer friends that it's the first time any pitcher had ever struck out Don Mattingly three times in one game. And it was Jeff Ballard, you know, not some star pitcher. But he knew right away, this is a good Sunday note. That's what I knew people were paying attention. <laughs> yeah. All right. I got to ask you this one, too. What is the wackiest thing that you think you've ever done for a story or a note or even a quote? I, and I'll, I'll tell you one. That this is the one I always tell. No, I'm going to tell mine first. Question. I'm not going to. Oh, yeah, okay. No, because yours is way better. I know the one <laughs> you're going to tell. I am not going to follow the one that I'm going to give you mine. First, right? And I'll make it quick. It's all right. So I was in Dallas in 1981. I just joined the Dallas Morning News. And we got a tip that Ron Meyer, the football coach at SMU, was going to be the next football coach for the New England Patriots. Well, our football writers were nowhere to be found. So my boss said, Tim, you have to go call Ron Meyer on the phone and ask him about this. So I call 50 times. The phone's clearly <laughs> off the hook. And they said, okay, you have to go to Ron Meyer's house. I've been in <laughs> about a week. Okay. I'm a baseball writer. And now I have to chase down this football coach who I've never met. I didn't know Ron Meyer from Oscar Meyer. Okay. <laughs> so I finally find his house at like 10 o'clock at night. I get to the front door I knock on the door. Remember, this is 1981. I was even smaller then than I am today. And I had <laughs> I had dark hair, not this ridiculous stuff on my head now. So I knock on the door and I say, hi, I'm Tim Kirkjian with the Dallas Morning News. And he said, oh, OK, how much do we owe you this month? So he <laughs> thought I was the paper boy. And I don't know whether to laugh or to cry because I'm so nervous that I don't even know what I'm doing. I'm a, I'm a young reporter. I don't know anything about football. So eventually he invites me in. I ask him all the questions. He lies to me about everything. <laughs> go back to my hotel room. I mean, my apartment. I call my office and said, he's not going to the Patriots. I know how to ask the questions. I asked him all the questions. He's not going. He called me. Five minutes later, in my apartment, I have no idea how he found me, and said, Tim, your competitor from the other paper just showed up, and I told him the truth, and I didn't want him to get you in trouble your first week on the job, so here's the story. And I got oh, it in wow. the paper the next day. So at, that's not, nowhere near touching what Jason did, but going to a man's <laughs> house at 10 o'clock in the morning at night and being mistaken for the paper boy, uh, that was enough to tell myself, all right, you got to cover baseball full time. None of this other stuff. Was he a good tipper? Did he, did he tip you for the great <laughs> delivery services? It was so bad. All his assistant coaches were in the room, and I had no idea who they were because I don't know anything about SMU football. I just uh, got into town. That's funny. All right, here, here's mine. Um, it, it's the time. I don't know what year this was. It's, I, in the 90s sometime, okay? Sammy Sosa's heyday because, Doug, I'm sure you remember this. Sammy Sosa hits a home run. It goes out of Wrigley Field. It sails across Waveland Avenue and it goes through the window, right through the window of this apartment across the street from Wrigley. And so some people look at this and say, wow, what a big hit. I look at this and say, I wonder if I can find that guy who lives in that apartment. <laughs> okay, so, so this, it took me, honestly, three days. I don't even remember how I did it, but I get the number of this guy who lives in the apartment and I call him up and it turns out 
He's from France. <laughs> His name is Philippe Guichot. And this is a Kirkson line. He didn't know a baseball from a beach ball. <laughs> he, had, he had no idea. He got home from work and there's a baseball on his floor. And he had no, he told me he had no idea how the ball got there. So I said, Philippe, when you rented the apartment, you didn't notice there was this big field across the street. <laughs> he said, oh, I knew the apartment was across from the field. I just didn't know that baseballs would ever leave the field. <laughs> it was so classic. I even told that story in my Hall of Fame speech. And I kept in touch with this guy for years. I don't know why, but it's like sometimes you go down these paths to tell a story. And for some reason, right, you, like it, it leads you places you never expect to go. Can you both appreciate that? Oh, yeah. And I can't top that. Nothing can top that. But Mark McGuire hit a home run once off of Zane Smith at Fenway. It leaves, it leaves the ballpark, of course. And there was a guy out there who had locked his keys in his car. And he couldn't get the keys out of the car. <laughs> this is like 1987. And once you lock your keys in the car, then yeah, you're dead. Yeah, that's it. Maguire, this is a true story. Maguire hit a homer that went through the guy's windshield. <laughs> broke a giant hole in there. He was able to reach his <laughs> get his car. And he actually found a way to get the baseball and bring it, get it to the, the uh, A's clubhouse. Mark McGuire signed it like, so glad I could help you with your keys <laughs> These things only happen in baseball. And that's why it's the greatest game in the world. Ah, uh, that's that that is tremendous. Mark McGuire, and locksmith. Yes, yes. <laughs> Doug, you ever do anything like that? Uh, you weren't quite as handy as him, were you? Well, I, I didn't. I don't think I've had a ball that far to break a window. Maybe foul ball, possibly. I remember, Terry Woods <laughs> got his uh, he had a Yukon truck in spring training, and we we did it. It was raining, so we decided to do a drill, a rundown drill in the parking lot, which was a bad idea. <laughs> And someone someone overthrew someone and went right through his uh, back window. So that wasn't great. So, uh, well, yeah, I, I think well, I think back to you know Jay just meeting you. I I went to obviously University of Pennsylvania in Philly. I read your column every week and became a huge fan. And then so when I was traded to the Phillies when we met, I was like. Jason Stark, I'm a big fan of yours. <laughs> so I get what Johnny Bench is talking about. You you are part of the family. It's uh, especially when players know when people who not only remind you of the joy of the game, but they also rem remind you of people that do it right. You know, they're the way they go about your business. But both of you've gone about your business is so highly respected, and you made all you know not hear it a lot or know it, but players definitely know that. And they realize that you're you're the stewards of the game. So, so I think it's totally true what Johnny Bench is saying. Like you know, you don't have the expression of what we do and love as players without your storytelling, without you actually putting it in context and making it matter. When you look at history and time itself, and you move it towards the present, knowing as a player that your present is very short lived. Uh, you want to hold on to these things and and dearly, and you you are able to capture that better than anybody, and which is why you're both honored with this uh, tremendous reward and recognition. So I just want to put that out there that you know you are part of the club, and I, I'm grateful for working with you, of course. But I've always been grateful for both your work when I was at the height of the career doing something I love because you guys made it made me love it even more. 
Well, thank you, Doug. That's very kind. And that makes me feel really good because in the end, that's why Jason and I do this and many, many others for the love of the game more than anything else. It's always, always about the game first. Yeah, Tim, let me ask you this then. Uh, You know, this feels like a time when more people than ever want to tell you everything that's wrong with baseball. And you're somebody who loves baseball more than anybody walking on our planet. So what are those people missing? Uh, why is baseball in 2021 still great, assuming they ever play it again? <laughs> uh, yeah, um, I think it's, well, it's the greatest game because it's the hardest game in the world to play. I, I'll argue that with anyone. Everyone should take one at bat in the big leagues. They will have a new understanding about the speed of the ball. Everyone should stand even with third base for one inning and let Vlad Guerrero Jr. somebody whistle one past your ear. They will have a new appreciation. That's the first thing. When when people ask me, why is it such a great game? It's because it is so difficult to play. But in the end, it's still the players that make it so good and the players we have today is the, the, the greatest assembly of, P, of young players I've ever seen. But the, it's the Freddie Freemans of the world, for instance, that make it so good. I did with Carl Ravage, the I was the analyst on the radio for the Brewers and the Braves series this year in October. So it's the L, NLDS, and I'm actually calling games from a ballpark, which makes me so happy because I haven't gotten much of a chance to do that, nor has anybody else. So Freddie Freeman tells us before game four, he goes, I stink. I can't get ahead. I'm terrible. Freddie Freeman, the reigning MVP <laughs> of the league, is looking at us like he's the worst player in the world. And, of course, in the eighth inning that night, Josh Hader comes into a tie game and Freddie Freeman hits a home run to left center field off him on a slider. And I said, this is this is so good. The guy who maybe more than any right now personifies why baseball is so great because Freddie Freeman is not only your best player, he's your best guy, and that might go for all of baseball. That's when that's what people need to know. The players are great. Their skill level and their athletic level is ridiculously high. And most of them are really good guys like Freddie Freeman. So to have that, like we're thinking, oh, he's terrible. He feels awful. He's lost (laughs) the plate. Then he hits a home run off. Josh Hader, of all people, (laughs) to get the Braves to the next round. That's one of my memories from this year that I will never forget. And Josh Hader, he'd never given up a home run off his slider or something like that, right? And Freddie Freeman was the first left-handed hitter ever to have two home runs off him in his career. That was the second one. There were were like 10 Josh Hader notes that night just from that home run. And that's what makes it so good is that one home run, uh, you know, elicits all these great notes out of it. Yeah. uh, I mean, Doug – Doug could obviously speak to this, but I, you know, I think the the thing that you and I love so much about baseball is when you see that moment and you understand all that goes into that moment, the career arc of these two guys that brought them to that place and that time, uh, the words that you have in your ear from Freddie Freeman saying, I stay, hits one of the most memorable home runs he will ever ever hit and the way people react to that moment in that park and then the way you can look at that 
and what just happened and connect the dots to so many things that have happened in so many other ballparks and games and seasons and how it all fits together, the fabric of the game. I mean, there are many wonderful things about baseball. Like We love that thing. Am I right? Oh, you're, you're absolutely right. And <laughs> I'll never forget the Francisco Cabrera game where, remember, he was the 25th man on the team for the Braves. He caught the ceremonial first pitch before the game, and <laughs> that was all that he was supposed to do that night. But he comes up, two outs, two on in the in the ninth inning with his team behind, meaning if he makes an out, the Pirates go to the World Series. If he gets a hit and drives in two runs, the Braves go to the World Series. And then, of course, Francisco Cabrera, Hits a two-run single to left. Barry Bonds, Sid Bream, Mike Lavalier. It was the most one of the most amazing plays ever. And I'm standing next to Steve Russian of Sports Illustrated because we're covering the game together for SI. Steve Russian is a genius. He's the smartest and the funniest person I've ever met. And 10 seconds after Francisco Cabrera gets that hit, Steve Russian looks at me as the place is exploding around us and says, Abra Cabrera. And I thought, oh, my God, I could have thought of that for years and not come up with it. Steve Russian had it in 10 seconds, but it wasn't just a tremendous line. That play only happens in baseball. You know, nobody comes off the bench for the Celtics and takes the last shot instead of Larry. Nobody comes into a game that you've never heard of and takes the last shot and makes it. Be besides Michael Jordan, nobody does. <laughs> but in baseball, the Francisco Cabrera play happens, and that's why it's such a beautiful game. Is the stars don't always decide every game. And Jason used the line years and years ago. He said, "You know, in baseball, everything changes day to day." But as Jason once wrote, "Paul McKeskey is Paul McKeskey, and it never changes. He's the same player all the time." <laughs> But baseball players go from great to not so great in the matter of a game because it's so difficult to play. Yeah. Um, Tim, there was so much I wanted to get to besides these goofy stories that we tell, but we'll have to do it some other time. I I got one more to ask you just about Cooperstown. Have you comprehended yet what next July in Cooperstown will be like Um Here's another story. I can honestly remember standing there with my wife and we're staring at my photo and my bio and my award hanging there in the Hall of Fame. And we looked at each other and we said, oh, my God, did this actually happen? Like this happened. And then I had this thought about the people who go through the hall forever will be staring at that thing. And I, you know, I can't comprehend the meaning of forever. The idea that people will still be looking at us in that Hall of Fame in what, 500 years? <laughs> How is your grasp of the concept of forever and what has just happened to you? Well, I, I can't go there yet, Jason. It's too, it's just too overwhelming to even think about what you went through two years ago. I, I can't even go there yet. It's, it's too strong 
it's too powerful. But I do remember, <laughs> I do remember being at Cooperstown for Tony Gwynn's induction. He and Cal Ripken went in the in the same year, and it was one of the great inductions ever, best one I've ever been to. So this just shows you how powerful things could be. I went to the Otisaga the morning of the induction. I see Tony Gwynn Jr. in the lobby of the Otisaga. So I just casually say, "How's your dad doing?" You know, on the speech for today, and he goes. My dad sent me down here to get a beer. He, he said, my dad needs a beer. He's so nervous at the thought of making the speech. And then Tony Gwynn Jr. looks at me and he goes, my dad doesn't drink. <laughs> <laughs> he was going to start drinking the morning of the induction because he was so nervous and so scared about what he had to do that day. And, of course, Tony Gwynn. Being Tony Gwynn, didn't have a beer, went out and crushed his speech. But I think that speaks to what this is all about, that Tony Gwynn could barely speak the morning of his induction because it was so important and so powerful. I think that's what I'll be facing someday. <laughs> and there are parts of me that just can't wait for this to be over because I'll be a nervous wreck every day since. No, you're gonna you're you're gonna be great, man. I can't wait for that speech. Oh and gosh! <laughs> listen, listen. Th there's nothing that we love more than hanging out with you, talking about what we do and how much we love to do it. Uh, you you are the best, my friend. Uh, we couldn't be happier for you. Congratulations, and and just so you know, you have been in the Starkville Hall of Fame since <laughs> day one. Um, Thank you, Jason, my hero. Thank you, Doug, my teammate. It was so great doing this with you guys. We were supposed to go half an hour where we went yeah. an hour and five minutes. And I, loved, I loved every second of it. Thank you very much. All right, Doug, for the last time in 2021, it is our listener trivia segment, our way of involving you, our favorite listeners, in this show and all year long, we have continued to literally involve you by picking a trivia question from some lucky listener. Then we invite the lucky listener to join us on the show, attempt to stump us with the question. We'll tell you how this will work for you in just a few minutes. But got to start here, Doug. We're on a ridiculous roll. It makes no sense. But somehow, if I'm keeping track correctly, we've gotten four of the last five trivia questions right. I cannot explain this. You seem like one of these people who can explain pretty much anything. So, Doug, what the heck has happened? Like, why are we trivia geniuses now when we were trivia doofuses all season long? Well, you know, listen, we, we've been channeling the Atlanta Braves championship season, okay? We weren't above 500. We were way below 500 at times for most of the season. And then we made some key moves, uh, very key moves. Yeah, what were they? I don't remember well, them. Well, we had Alex Anthopoulos on the show. That was the key move. And then it inspired us to make some trivia moves in our own brains and study a little bit harder. And then all of a sudden, we took over from like August 5th all the way on to the rest of the season. And now postseason, we're just showing our true glory. So I think Freddie Freeman, I'm going to thank the Atlanta Braves for this moment. And I'm feeling pretty good. But we're, however, we're not going to get the first round draft pick because of this, but that's okay. We, we, we want to win and we want to continue to continue this glory. <laughs> so yeah, thanks Atlanta. 
Okay, let's go with that. <laughs> Nothing makes sense to me. Might as well. Let's go with that theory. Why the heck not? Um, look, I'm not sure if we can possibly stay this hot, but good news is we're about to find out. So let's welcome in this week's special trivia guest star. It's a fellow who has stumped us before joined the club, Zach Farber. Zach, yeah. welcome back to Starkville. Thanks for having me back. Excited to be here. Um, well, we're excited to have you. And it, it, Doug, you know, you should probably know this. Uh, one of the reasons that I felt like we should pick Zach is nobody out there in the entire Twitterverse wanted to be part of this show more than Zach <laughs> Farber. Uh, he tweeted four excellent questions at us. And so I, I was looking at his Twitter feed. And, and before this, you know, the last time Zach tweeted, how about July? Oh, yes. so that, that was five months ago. Uh, so, Zach, what's the deal? Uh, five months, no tweets at all about anything, and then you tweeted at us four times. So, what's up with that? I was just, I was just back in the trivia mood. You know, it was a <laughs> time to come back. It had been a while since I've, I've been on the show. I think the last time was back in May. So, figured it was yeah. time to close out the year on a on a good note. Well, this is the ultimate compliment. The guy, the guy stays dark for five months, and then he pretty much begs us to invite him on the show. We we fell for it. Yes, we did. And, and, Zach, and Zach, you got to know who you're dealing with. This is Jason Stark, so he will research everything under the sun and find this out. So you always be mindful that he will know your every move. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I do not. If you're suggesting I cheat on these questions, I don't cheat oh, on no, the questions no. because no, you people just, do that to me. I don't like that. No, you but studied I, his Twitter habits. Yes, I, I, I did. <laughs> this was, you know, I'm just looking for subject for a little less trivia banter that we're so famous for. <laughs> there were no subjects because there were no tweets. <laughs> anyway, we 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 appreciate the love, the support, and the trivia, especially. So, Zach. Let's hear your question. And just so you know, we're getting pretty much every one of these right. <laughs> All right. Well, good luck. Um, <laughs> yes. <laughs> All right. So the newest New York Met, Max Scherzer, he is one of three active pitchers with over a thousand strikeouts in both the National League and the American League. Your task mm -hmm. is to name the other two. All right, now, mm, mm, uh, nice. the newest meta is actually Buck Showalter, but we'll, we'll push that aside for now. <laughs> uh, when I first saw this question, I thought, this is easy. Then the more I thought about it, you know what I decided? It's not that easy. There, there, there are more possible answers than I had originally thought when I just thought about it off the top of my head. But I want to start with Zach Greinke. feels like one of these almost has to be him. Uh, all those years in the AL with the Royals and then came back with the Astros. Then he had mm -hmm. Brewers, Dodgers, Diamondbacks in the National League. Like He's got to be one of these, I think. So then we're only looking for one more. You'd think mm -hmm. that would be easy. My first instinct was got to be John Lester. Uh, you know, his career has been split pretty much evenly between the American League and the National League. And I got worried, you know, not a big strikeout rate, right? So mm -hmm. I, I wrote down some more names, Doug. Let, let, let me just mm -hmm. run through them. You can tell me what you think. Garrett yeah. Cole. Yeah. Um, probably not enough years in Pittsburgh. I don't think he's up to 2,000 strikeouts, but great from day one. So he got to be on the list. 
How about you, Darvish, huh? You know, you, mm-hmm. you Darvish, had huge strikeout rates in Texas, yeah. in the American League. But it, I, don't, I don't think he got to the National League until, what, 2018. So that would be four seasons, 2018, 19, 20, 21. 2020, only 60 games. 2021, he was hurt part of the year. Yeah. I don't think that's enough National League time. Um Here's an off-the-wall name, Jay Happ. A Mm. lot of time in both leagues. Now, again, I don't think he's got 2,000 strikeouts, but I did put his name down. And one more that we actually need a ruling on, uh, Zach, you can help us with this, Cole Hamels. Um, I don't see how we can consider him to be active. Active, yeah. Didn't pitch at all this year. He would not be active. Okay. okay. All right. So you're not counting him as active. All right. So those are my thoughts, Doug. Who did I miss? No, I like it. I mean, well, I, sometimes I'm like, wait a minute, who's active, right? So, yeah. uh, you know, because I, I was like, Edinson Volquez is always a fun <laughs> name Ooh. out there. Yeah, but you guessed him before. Is he? But he's. I think he didn't play last no, year. No, he did. He did play. No, uh, wait. I, yeah, he, I think did, he was. Oh, wait. I, th- I think it's 2020, kind of. I haven't. Oh, you might be right. So I was like, I was a born. Mm-hmm. I mean, Urban Santana, he's, Urban he's been all American. Is he American League? I know he, he's pitched no, everywhere. He was with the Brave. <laughs> bounced back. Yeah, those are those the, the wild card. I, I, but other than that, I, I kind of agree. I mean, Verlander wasn't with the Astros, the American League, long enough. He was hurt. Never. I mean, never Tigers. In the League. I mean, never last. Yeah. So, yeah, that doesn't make any sense. <laughs> Thinking of Tigers. Hey, you did got your memo that the Astros changed leagues. Yeah, they, yeah did. they did. That's right. It was sometime. Was it during my career? I don't even remember now. All right. So, Scratch Verlander. Um, yeah, that's. I mean, I love Granky, Lester. I mean, I have the same list. Cole, Santana, I mentioned Volquez and Darvish. That's kind of how I had it. So, I think Lester's a good answer. He had a lot of years. That, a lot of years. I mean, he may not have had the 250 strikeout seasons, but he had a bunch of, you know, 180s and 203s or something. And he's at 200 wins, right? So Yeah, I mean, that's uh, a lot. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm not, good. Okay, I'm not 100% sure on this. You know, our, hey, Zach, our usual routine is we mention the right answers <laughs> and we talk ourselves out of the right answers. But uh, let, let's take our shot. Zach, is there any chance that is Zach Grinke – and John Lester. You guys got it. The streak continues. Oh, the streak continues. This, this is getting crazy. <laughs> hey, Doug, we're, we're getting to be like Damian Lillard from three. We can't miss. Five uh, out of six. And we never Steph once Curry. resorted to your devious cheating scheme. Let's After go we Steph only got Curry. three. Yeah. yeah we're Steph yeah. Curry now? Yeah, we're Steph Curry now. I think. Uh, I mean, that I think. You know, has the audience just taken it easier on us, or are we, are we become genius? Was it the move we made at the trade deadline? I mean, it's it's hard to figure out here. We're we're, we're no smarter. There's like that can be established. Just listen to the rest of the show. You'll see we're no smarter. But Zach, we only got three right the whole season, and now we've ripped off five out of six. Like, what is happening? Prime time, baby. Deion Sanders. Prime time. We got, we got hot when it counted. <laughs> All right. Let's, again, let's go with that. Uh, at any rate, if you listen regularly, uh, you know that whether we get the question right or wrong, not that we ever get it wrong, we still bring in our mayor. Uh, this week, we've got our acting mayor, Cameron Molina, uh, to provide the highlight of the segment with some memorable play-by-play that involves this week's answer. Let's bring him in. 
Mr. Acting Mayor, what do you got for us this week? Guys, you understand you're affecting your ratings. You have to get it wrong. People come in to see you fail. What are you doing? You can't keep getting them right. This is ridiculous. We can't explain this. Well, you just have to play the video celebration. If you play the video celebration, that will <laughs> tilt it back the other way. <laughs> well, we have some fantastic highlights, and the incredible career of John Lister spans X amount of years. Fantastic with the Red Sox, fantastic with the Cubs. How about two of those big moments with both of those franchises? 2008 on May 19, throwing a no-hitter against the Royals, and then coming in in relief in Game 7 of the 2016 World Series to take on Jason Kipnis and sit him down. One ball, two strikes, two outs, ninth inning. Glasgow strikes out! John Lester's thrown a no-hitter at Fenway! He no-hits the Kansas City Royals! A strikeout ends the inning. Lester pumped up. All right, wow. So that was the young John Lester throwing a no-hitter. Don Arcillo won the call. And then 2016 a World Series, some uh, excellent editing there. David Ross must have called the mayor to make sure that we didn't have the two-run wild pitch thing <laughs> that John Lester was a part of. But all I know is that was fun. It was fun to hear it. What was more fun was we got another one right. Oh, my God. Uh, hey, Zach, fantastic question. Have a great New Year's, man. Feel free to tweet again in five months or so, especially if it's at us. Sounds good. I will, I'll plan on that. Happy holidays. Strange but true. So all season long, we do a really fun segment around here called The Strange But True. And uh, as we were talking about with Tim, we're, we're – bonded here by our love for just how weird baseball can be pretty much every single day. And so we thought we would leave you with three of our favorite strange but true moments of the year. Uh, You should know that as we speak, I'm working on my annual strange but true feats of the year extravaganza, (laughs) which we're going to roll out in three separate columns now (laughs) between Christmas and New Year's. Uh, But I don't think it's a spoiler alert to say that all three of these will be in there because, of course, they will. You'll understand why when you hear them. Uh, Let's start with this one. This is April 28th, Braves versus Cubs. Uh, Doug Glanville was actually in the uh, pregame, postgame studio uh, for the Marquee Sports Network. Uh, Set the scene. Freddie Freeman starts off this game by going... Four for four, because let's remember, he's Freddie freaking Freeman. (laughs) But then, who comes in to pitch? It's his friend and ours, Anthony Rizzo. And guess what happened? I guarantee you Rizzo's dreamed of this. (laughs) Two balls, two strikes. Oh, he struck him out! (laughs) Look at Rizzo! He can't believe it! (laughs) Ah! That was so great. Uh, He was four for four, and then he struck out against (laughs) Anthony Rizzo. Doug, you were in the studio. What do you remember about what that was like in the moment that you saw it? Oh, I mean, this was uh, just head-scratching in some ways because the fact of Freeman just being so good of a hitter, and then you always joke as a hitter about someone who's below hitting speed (laughs) with a speed limit. Just you know, 61 miles an hour. 
yeah, you know, you're on the highway and someone's driving like 36 and you're like, what do I do? You, you know, you don't know how to pass them. So everything broke down, but just to know that they had that history and the, the fun. And Rizzo has always talked about wanting to pitch and he's, uh, you know, gotten some opportunities. So this was the ultimate moment for him because he, he's been hyping this up for a long time. I mean, he kept talking trash like, I want to pitch to Freeman. So um, you talk about execution, you know, changing speeds. And, and you know, the whole at bat was fascinating. He was shaking off signs. He was trying, <laughs> he was, I mean, he located pretty well too. Off-speed curveball at like 37 with spin rate of like, you know, 1100. I mean, this guy was, I mean, so no, it was fun. And that, it just takes you back to, you know, as a kid, you come up, you know, to the big leagues, your rookie year and, and of course, you're you, you have your position, but you still dream of all these other scenarios that remind you of growing up playing wiffle ball. In my case, with my brother, and thinking about how I imitated all these players. <laughs> and every outfielder wants to you know see how they could do on the mound. And a lot of us were pitchers in high school or college. So I think that there's always that element of like what what it'd be like if he got on the mound, and you know because most of these guys were probably they're you know not only star players on their team they were probably pretty good pitchers on their team. So there was a period where they actually knew how to do this stuff. So I think it just kind of brought me back to you know the days of little league and wiffle ball with my brother and just just kind of remembering how fun it is even when you're completely out of your element. <laughs> you know, you know what I think was his biggest challenge. Throwing strikes, considering how hard he was laughing. <laughs> this is true. <laughs> that ain't easy. <laughs> Definitely not. Your fun, yeah, your, your fun, strange but true fact is no position player had gone four for four in any game and yeah. then struck out against a position player <laughs> in 42 years. Now, the last one was Mike Vale against Mike Anderson back in 1979. And here's a little investigative reporting I think we should do. I, you remember uh, the... Astros and Braves hooked up in that marathon playoff game that went like, what, 18 innings or something, uh, like 2005, I want to say. And in that game, Brad Osmus hit the biggest home run of his career. And I remember being at Astros camp when they uh, everybody reported the next spring. <laughs> and Osmus was asking everybody, Hey, how'd you like my Christmas present? Because his Christmas present to all his friends on the team was mugs, tumblers, uh, calendars of his home run. <laughs> and so if Anthony Rizzo did not do that for Freddie Freeman, oh. I will be really disappointed, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, he, he needs an entire line, a clothing line. Uh, I mean, ornaments <laughs> on the Christmas tree. I mean, you got you yes. to go all out. I mean, this is yeah. the moment. Absolutely. For sure. Uh, okay, next up. Uh, Doug, there's nothing that we love here more than time travel. <laughs> uh, fortunately, baseball makes this possible with its suspended game rule. Uh, we had a few of these suspended games this season. <laughs> They're always wacky. I, I, I want to go to my personal favorite. Uh, you know, set the scene. Uh, back on July 21st, Braves and Padres playing a doubleheader in Atlanta or wherever the heck Truss Field is. Uh, except game two gets interrupted by rain for three hours. <laughs> so eventually they give up. They suspend the game. They finish it two months later in San Diego where that game 
picks up with another rain delay. So we have a four and a half hour rain delay in two different cities. <laughs> so, but anyway, they finally start. Uh, it's the seventh inning. Uh, this is also the last inning because it's still considered a double header. <laughs> Fernando Tatis Jr. steps up and does this. Driven to deep center field. The ball going back and that ball is gone. Home run for Fernando. Padres take a 6-5 lead. Uh, Don Arcillo on that call now. Uh, let me try to make sense of what just happened. Okay, <laughs> uh, Fernando Tatis Jr. has just homered in both games of a doubleheader in two different <laughs> time zones. He just hit a game-winning homer that the box scores will tell us was hit in Atlanta. Well, we just heard it. It definitely came down in San Diego. <laughs> and, and the other great thing about this was, all right, he hits a, a game-winning home run in the last inning in his home park. But was it a walk-off, Doug? It was it not. It was not. The, the Braves were the quote-unquote home team in San Diego. All right, in, Doug, your thoughts. In the seventh inning. <laughs> yeah, of course. What is going on? Oh, yeah. Well, I mean... I, I try to compare it to, you know, something glorious. Like we're recording this pod podcast on December twentieth. Someone might actually watch this or listen to this, depends how you look at it, on January twenty twenty two, the next year. So yeah. in some respects, we will travel time. We will actually <laughs> be a year from now, a year older in some respects. So I, you know, I think time travel is just in the eye of the beholder. You you can you can travel time. You can go back. I mean, Brian Greene, a great uh, string theory, you know, quantum physicist, used to talk about how you can change time by just the information you learn in the present, and even in the future, you can actually change the past because you know now. Like for example, I have four kids. My parenting skills now versus my parenting skills in my firstborn. I realized that why in the world did I use that bottle warmer to warm up the formula? That was a bad idea. I could just have room temperature water and the powder and just mix it at any time. I got wiser, so now I look at the past differently. So now that we've teleported into parenting and back into San Diego and Atlanta, we realize that baseball allows us to do anything. We can travel time. We can be in two different cities. We might be able to clone. Baseball is where the science is at. <laughs> and I don't think any of that was the same thing as this, but... It's fine. <laughs> it was highly entertaining. It's all we ask on this show. <laughs> all right, let's do one more. The grand finale. This one is our favorite strange but true moment of the year. Uh, we're going to travel in time yet again, Doug, back to May 27th. This is the Cubs against the Pirates in Pittsburgh back at a time when you actually recognized all the Cubs. <laughs> and Javi Baez came to bat, hit what looked like a routine ground ball to third base. Turned out it was not so routine, <laughs> to, to say the least. Let's relive it one more time. Baez hits it on the ground to third, Gonzalez. This is so good. My goodness! Wow, you gotta be kidding me! You've gotta be they kidding me! Stole a run! You have gotta be kidding me! Javi Baez 
Keep going. Go. Go. You're invisible. El Mago indeed. Uh, that was our friends Boog, Shambi, and Jim Deshays on the call. Yeah. And if you're listening to that, you have no idea what happened. But <laughs> even if you watched it, you had no idea. But I, I'll try to explain it to you. I uh, started for first base. Then he went backwards. Then Will Craig, the Pirates' first baseman, who should have just stepped on first base, he, for some reason, chased him back down the line, toward home plate. Now here comes Wilson Contreras sliding into home. So Will Craig gets kind of lured by Javi into throwing home. Not a good idea. Uh, then the greatest moment of all, Javi watches this, gives the safe sign, now goes, starts running back to first, and he winds up on second. We don't know how this happened. <laughs> but anyway, that's why they were saying, what? Keep going. You're invisible. You get it, right? Uh, uh, Doug, yes. your view of this. How great well, was this? I mean, well, Javi Baez is truly a magician, and you know, it's, I, I've watched this for years now that he reduces the IQ level of any player to like dust. I mean, and so he become he became this house of mirrors, right? You go in and you think you're seeing him, but you're actually not. And he's 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 larger, he's smaller, he disappears. You see your own reflection. By the time you figure out what happened, he's on third base. I mean, this. I mean, we need we need to bring back the who's on first skit, Abin Costello. Yes. I mean, just have Baez everywhere at all positions and be the base runner. And then it would make a whole lot of sense. Uh, I mean, this guy just does it. So I, I, although I did learn that even when Contreras had slid into home and was sitting in the dugout, Craig could have still stepped on first base. As long <laughs> yes. as he beat Baez, he was out. There was no, that's what I love about baseball. There was no clock on this. He could have stepped on it in 2022. He could have stepped on it in Atlanta and San Diego. Didn't matter. As long as he beat Baez to first, he was out. And I, you know, but Baez just, just the brain melt skills that he has. It's just, it's like Jedi's Jedi mind trick. You just, all of a sudden you talk and then you forget you're a major league ball player. I mean, I get it. It's, it happened. So I give Javi Baez all, all the credit in the world, all the credit. He hypnotizes everybody around him. I don't know how he he does it. But then the thing about this play was, I'm, I, he, I'm pretty sure he also hypnotized the planet into spinning backwards. <laughs> everybody, was, everybody did everything backwards except him. <laughs> and the whole thing was just tremendous. I, I, will, I, I will laugh about that play every time I see it forever. It's the best. And uh, all these all these plays, look, these are the moments that make baseball great. We had a slew of them in 2021. They keep me in the column writing business. They keep this show in business. They keep this segment in business. They keep Doug and I laughing all year long. And we look forward to lots more in 2022. Okay, that's going to do it for this week's show. Uh, we'll be bringing you more of this podcast magic all off-season long on the Athletic Baseball Show, which is available in its entirety absolutely free at Apple, Spotify, everywhere you get your podcasts. And of course, you can still find us ad-free at the Athletic app. If you like what you hear, we would love it if you would subscribe and give us one of those five-star reviews. One more expression of gratitude to all the people who have already done that in 2021. Also, if you'd like to read our work or any of the incredible writing on our site, there is no better sports writing being done anywhere than in The Athletic. So if you thought about subscribing, 
Or you might be desperate for a gift subscription for one of your friends or loved ones. Now's a good time. Just go to theathletic.com slash baseball show. And if you're a new subscriber, you can subscribe or buy a guest subscription for one-third off our normal rates. Uh, you'll be happy that you did. Also remember, you two can be part of this podcast. Every show, we invite a lucky listener to submit a trivia question and then join us right here in the podcast and prove or attempt to prove there's almost no baseball trivia question we can't get right. This whole thing is flipped backwards. Javi Baez has hypnotized us and the trivia callers, apparently. Uh, but if you would like to do that and submit a question, you can always email us at Starkville at theathletic.com or fire those questions at us on Twitter. If someone were going to fire a question at Doug Glanville, how would that someone go about it, Doug? Well, first of all, I was a high ball hitter. So as long as it's up in the zone, you're in trouble. Right. So I'll just say at Doug Glanville, pretty simple, D-O-U-G-G-L-A-N-V-I-L-L-E. All right, this is my chance to spell along with Doug one more time in 2021. I'm at Jason S T. J-A-Y-S-O-N-S-T. Please remember to hashtag the questions, hashtag StarkvilleQS. Also remember, don't answer other people's questions on our Twitter feed. Got it? Mess everything up. Uh, Doug, thanks for playing. Thanks to Tim Kirkshin for the really fun visit. Thanks to Zach Farber for the trivia question. Thanks to the acting mayor of Starkville, Cameron Molina, for producing us and putting up with us. Thanks to you all for listening. Have a wonderful Christmas. Have a festive New Year's. Coming up Wednesday on the Athletic Baseball Show, it is Evan Drillick keeping us up to date on the business of baseball on his way too timely show. Doug and I will see you in 2022 on Starkville.